Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. Do you remember the, the gift that really meant a lot to you as a kid? Uh, 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 a gift that you unwrapped on Christmas or, uh, let's just get this out of the way, how many of your Christmas Eve uh, gift openers? Okay, Christmas Day openers? Okay, most of you are in the right, that's good, that's good. So Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, whichever one you're doing, um, and you have the opportunity, and you're a kid, and you open up the gift, and all of a sudden it just That's the seminal gift, and maybe you're picturing it right now. Maybe there's a gift that you're picturing right now. And then something happens as you get a little bit older. The gifts kind of get different, don't they? They get a little bit more practical. And then all of a sudden, there's things that you're supposed to wear. Um, And like practical gifts start taking place. And then every once in a while as an adult, someone really captures your attention with this thoughtful, creative gift where you can tell they know you and they thought about the gift they were giving you, right? How many of you have ever opened a gift and you're like, man, this person does not know me at all, (laughs) right? How many of you have gifted someone, how many of you received a gift from someone you're sitting next to and you said, this person does not know me? No, don't point fingers. But you open up the gift and you're like, "I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. Can I re-gift it? Because clearly you re-gifted it to me. But it's like this gift where you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this thing. Clearly you don't know me. We're talking about unwrapping Christmas. We're talking about unwrapping giving today. And the invitation to unwrap Christmas and kind of push back against overspending and overconsumption really resonates with us. I've heard from you in the last week how much you have kind of appreciated the call to get back to the heart of what Christmas is about. Because kids can struggle to find the connections between their Christmas wish list and the story of Jesus's birth. In fact, if you were to ask a child the relationship between gifts and Christmas, it might be hard to articulate. So we sift through the piles of things we don't need and may never use, longing for something more, perhaps. And so today I want to invite you to unwrap giving this year by considering giving more. Now, if you're here last week, that might feel like a contradiction because last week we talked about literally spending less money during Christmas. And today we're going to talk about giving more. And maybe it's a contradiction, but maybe not. Let's start with this premise And you can follow in your notes or in the Bible app if you'd like. The premise we're going to start with is this. The best gifts celebrate a relationship. The best gifts celebrate a relationship. In such a way where you unwrap a gift and you're like, oh, they know me. This celebrates this relationship between me and my sister or me and my best friend or me and my spouse. This celebrates my relationship in such a way that's unique and personal to me. The best gifts celebrate a relationship. So we're going to look to the greatest gift giver in the history of the world for our example this morning by going to the most famous verse in the Bible, John chapter 3 in verse 16. 
So let's read this verse together. Ready? Begin. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This has long been celebrated as the most powerful, succinct explanation of the gospel in the New Testament. Of the 30,000 plus verses in the Bible, this may be the most singularly popular verse. It begins, this, this verse actually has its genesis at the beginning of John chapter 3 between a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Everyone say Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night, it says late at night, in order to ask a question, and he does so to have this conversation, and you can unpack it later today as you read it maybe for yourselves, but in verse 7, Jesus strikes him with an amazing statement. He says this, you must be born again. Now this refuted the popular Jewish idea regarding the way to salvation. If you were to talk to someone in that day and you were to tell the Jewish population, God so loved the world, they'd have a hard time understanding what you're talking about. Because for the Jewish people, the way they would understand God's love is this, for God so loved the Jewish people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And for everyone else, he makes an exception. Here's Jesus talking to Nicodemus. It's late at night, so we're going to call him Nick at night. (laughs) And he's talking to Nicodemus, and he says this. You must be born again. And the depth in which you have to understand this is my love for you. And so here's Jesus. He's talking to Nicodemus, and he says these words. God so loved the whole world that he gave his one and only son. Not just the Jewish people, but he loved the world. Now, I was talking to someone this morning about this verse, and I was saying, the fact that he loved the whole world is a very chaotic framework for our faith. It's chaos. Because think about what we're implying here by saying that God so loved the world. We're talking about everybody in the world. Everybody, let's just, let's just skim past the part where we include ourselves in that, but we're including everyone that has ever lived in this framework. For God so loved the world. The word world there implies the world and its chaos, the world and its brokenness, the world and its sin, the world and every part of our life that doesn't measure up to God's standard, God loves God so loved us that he gave. The universal offer of salvation and life in Jesus was revolutionary. God didn't just feel for the plight of the fallen world. He did something about it. And there's this word in this verse right in the middle in the second line that says that whoever believes in him, this describes the recipient of God's love. And what God is saying is whoever believes in me will have eternal life. This is more than an intellectual awareness or agreement. It means that we trust him, that we rely on him, that we cling in him. And God says anyone who chooses 
to believe in me will have eternal life. Now, it seems so obvious that we've drifted from this liberating and straightforward truth, but at Christmas time, it's probably more important than anything that we talk about this. The Father gave his one and only Son. And God's answer for the world's problems has never been material things. God's answer for the world problems has never been to give us more stuff. It was to give us his son. It was to give us this opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus. So we begin with this premise that Jesus is God in the flesh. I want to point out some verses in John chapter 1 to you today. It says this, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God and God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. What is John saying here? He's saying that Jesus was and is the son of God. Jesus always existed. He exists now. And when he lived upon the earth, he existed then. He was and is the son of God. And it's not that that just that Jesus is God. It's that Jesus as God, he chose to become one of us. He chose to come down in the form of a baby, this moment at Christmas that we celebrate. This is the incarnation, the one who spoke galaxies into existence. In the words of the author, Alan Hirsch, he moved into our neighborhood in an act of humble love, the likes of which the world has never known. And so giving gifts is the opportunity to worship as we remind each other of the gift that was given for our sake. This is why we give gifts during this time of year. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at God's gift of Jesus and find some inspiration on how we could give more. We're going to begin with this thought. God's gift of Jesus gave us his presence. Gave us his presence. God drew close in a very specific way. So when you think about Jesus being bored on that night, here's one of the proclamations that was made in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. It says this, Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God's gift of Jesus gave us his presence. So the Apostle Paul tells us that the, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. All of a sudden, God has a face and a voice, and he would live with real people. There's something incredibly tangible about God's gift. Now, I don't know about you, but it feels like to me that our world is awfully fractured when it comes to relationships. Our community can be fractured. We have gotten comfortable with pseudo-community. We text and we message and we tweet and we go to Instagram or we go to other social media and our relationships are forged in this platform that allows us to do much of what we would do in person but do it digitally and all of a sudden, because we're doing it digitally, it can feel and be very superficial. And yet we were designed and meant to have flesh and blood relationships. 
We were made to be with each other. It's one of the ways we are reminded that we're not alone. It's one of the ways that we feel the Spirit of God is when we're with other people, when we physically are with other people, when we share a meal, when we are gathered together uh, for worship service, for instance. And for those of you watching online, we love that you're watching online, but if you are near a church that would open their doors to you, as as your as your digital pastor, perhaps let me allow you to let me allow me to encourage you to find somewhere to worship. It's like uh, I was thinking about it this weekend. Um, it's like um, we'll have people come over to our house, and to create the mood and the ambiance, I'll put the fireplace on the TV, <laughs> which is pretty cool. There's one on the Disney Channel that you can do a, a fireplace. And Olaf will run by every once in a while. It's fantastic. It's absolutely great. There's some on the YouTube. I called it the YouTube. Man, there's some on YouTube where um, you can watch and, and you can find where, where the clip loops or if it's an actual three-hour fire, right? You know what that thing does, though? Provides me no heat. And when we're watching online, a gathering that is happening in person, you're going to get some of this, but you're not going to get the heat and the warmth of physical relationships. So if you're watching online, again, I encourage you to do so. I tell people we don't have first-time visitors anymore because everybody watches us online first before they come, but allow the Holy Spirit of God to bring you to the place where you join us because we were meant for physical relationships. We were meant to do this together physically. And God's gift of Jesus was given because he gave us his presence. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing to consider his presence. And when we make time to be with someone, it's a gift. It's a relational gift. Giving time and presence is not a new idea. It's just been neglected. And so I would ask you to consider how you can creatively express to your friend or family how much you want to be with them. The pre gift of presence. As we move on today, I want to notice also that God's gift of Jesus was personal. It brought, him his, brought us his presence, but it was also a personal gift. So in Luke chapter 2, in verse 10, again, this is the Christmas story where the angels are, 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 are assuring them of what is about to happen. Luke chapter 10 and verse 10, Luke chapter 2 and verse 10 says this, the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring, what's the next word? You good news that will bring great joy to all people. Again, we've all received gifts that were, again, less than personal. And like when you receive a gift and wonder, man, is this really for me? This gift of Jesus is as personal as it gets. He brings us his presence, but it's also a personal gift. The angel encourages us, us encourages us. I bring you good news. I bring you good news. The gift 
of Jesus was personal. This is why we pray on Sunday morning. This is why we include him in our services because the reason we're here is because he came in the first place. And so several parts in our service, we pause and we acknowledge his presence with us and we pray directly to him because he's a personal God. He left the glories of heaven in order to come down to this sin-wrought world. He put flesh on The God of the universe who created the stars and the earth and the atmosphere and the water and the trees and everything took the time to put on flesh so he could be born of Mary, so he could live a sinless, perfect life for you. It's a personal gift. Not only that, his gift was costly. It cost him that. So God's gift of Jesus was his, it gave us his presence. It was personal but it was also very costly. I want you to go to Philippians chapter two. We're gonna read two verses here that describe how much it cost Jesus. It says this, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Let's just pause there. What does that mean? Well, he's talking about the pronoun he is talking about Jesus. Though Jesus was God, Jesus did not think of equality as something to cling to. In other words, he did not uh, allow himself the, the opportunity to stay with God, to stay there and not come down. He didn't cling to his divinity. Instead, verse seven, he gave up his divine privileges and he took up the humble position of a slave and, when bo- and was born as a human being. Jesus chose to enter the story in the most humblest of ways. And his humility didn't stop there with how he entered the story. His humility carried him all the way to the cross. Mark says it this way, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Think about God and leaving the glories of heaven and he could have come into the world in any different manner of ways in order to reveal that Jesus who is God has now come to earth. He could have come with incredible fanfare. He could have come with incredible, uh, he could have come with the host of angels, 10,000 strong at his arrival. He could have come as a grown man. He could have come as a strong warrior on a horse with 10,000 angels. I think he would have got quite the reaction, don't you think? If all of a sudden the heavens lit up and there's a host of angels, and I wouldn't even know how to describe it because we've never seen it, but the king of, uh, of, of all ages coming down, a warrior king on top of a horse, and he says, I am God, I am here, I am here to rescue you from your sins, I am sure that would have been trending on Twitter that day. And instead, Jesus humbles himself to the point where his birth is almost completely, completely underwhelming. He comes and he comes at, to Mary and Joseph and here they are, a, a poor teenage girl and a, and a man who's trying to do the right thing and all of a sudden they give birth to this Jesus and the angels come and assure him, this is the one. 
This is the one that will save you from your sins. And they must have looked around and said, couldn't you have gotten a better hotel? <laughs> there they are in a cave or a, or, or a place much like a cave. And they are there with animals and, and not the cute, awesome, serene scene that you might see in a painting or in a nativity setting. But just animals and everything that comes with animals. I'm talking about the stink. And there, that's where Jesus chose to enter humanity. And why do you think he chose to enter this way? So he could identify with you and I. So we, in our frailest, in our most broken state, could identify hopefully with the Jesus who came to be with us. He didn't come to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. So the gift God gave us cost him everything. What does that mean for us as we try to unwrap giving in our own lives, in our own Christmas season? Well, I think in practical terms, it means we must accept that relational giving will cost us something. While not to the depths of what it cost Jesus to become human, much less the sacrifice of the cross, relational gifts will cost our time and our energy. And yet relational giving will pay off as we give God the glory. I'm asking you to consider what it might look like to just rethink giving just a little bit in such a way where it allows us to celebrate the relationship of the one we're gifting. Forty years ago, a gal named Nancy Gavin wrote about her husband, Mike, in the December 14th, 1982 issue of Moment, uh, Women's Day magazine. Can we all just pause for a moment of silence that 1982 was over 40 years ago? <laughs> Thank you. She wrote about unwrapping Christmas in her own life. And I want to share that story for you today. Narrating it for us today is Lori. And I don't want you to get confused. She's not talking about her husband, Mike. She's talking about Nancy's husband, Mike. But this is the story she wrote about back in 1982. It's just a small white envelope stuck among the branches of our Christmas tree. No name, no identification, no inscription. It has peeked through the branches of our tree for the past 10 years or so. It all began because my husband Mike hated Christmas. Oh, not the true meaning of Christmas, but the commercial aspects of it. Overspending, the frantic running around at the last minute to get a tie for Uncle Harry and the dusting powder for Grandma. The gifts given in desperation because you couldn't think of anything else. Knowing he felt this way, I decided one year to bypass the usual shirts, sweaters, ties, and so forth. I reached for something special just for Mike. The inspiration came in an unusual way. Our son Kevin, who was 12 that year, was wrestling at the junior level at the school he attended. And shortly before Christmas, there was a non-league match against a team sponsored by an inner city church. These youngsters, dressed in sneakers so ragged that shoestrings seemed to be the only thing holding them together, 
presented a sharp contrast to our boys in their spiffy blue and gold uniforms and sparkling new wrestling shoes. As the match began, I was alarmed to see that the other team was wrestling without headgear, a kind of light helmet designed to protect a wrestler's ears. It was a luxury the ragtag team obviously could not afford. Well, we ended up walloping them. We took every weight class, and as each of their boys got up from the mat, he swaggered around in his tatters with false bravado, a kind of street pride that couldn't acknowledge defeat. Mike, seated beside me, shook his head sadly. I wish just one of them could have won, he said. They have a lot of potential, but losing like this could take the heart right out of them. Mike loved kids, all kids, and he knew them having coached Little League football, baseball, and lacrosse. That's when the idea for his present came. That afternoon, I went to a local sporting goods store and bought an assortment of wrestling headgear and shoes and sent them anonymously to the inner city church. On Christmas Eve, I placed the envelope on the tree, the note inside telling Mike what I had done and that this was his gift from me. His smile was the brightest thing about Christmas that year and in succeeding years. For each Christmas, I followed their tradition. One year, sending a group of mentally handicapped youngsters to a hockey game. Another year, a check to a pair of elderly brothers whose home had burned to the ground the week before Christmas, and on and on. The envelope became the highlight of our Christmas. It was always the last thing opened on Christmas morning, and our children, ignoring their new toys, would stand with wide-eyed anticipation as their dad lifted the envelope from the tree to reveal its contents. As the children grew, the toys gave way to more practical presents, but the envelope never lost its allure. The story doesn't end there. You see, we lost Mike last year due to dreaded cancer. When Christmas rolled around, I was still so wrapped in grief that I barely got the tree up. But Christmas Eve found me placing an envelope on the tree, and in the morning, it was joined by three more. Each of our children, unbeknownst to the others, had placed an envelope on the tree for their dad. The tradition has grown and someday will expand even further with our grandchildren standing to take down the envelope. Mike's spirit, like the Christmas spirit, will always be with us. If we can find a way to resist the urge of giving easy gifts during this time of year. I think as a follower of Jesus, if we can reject the assumption that giving expensive gifts or many gifts is the best way to express love, I think something else might happen. I think we might experience moments of relational giving that our friends and our family will care about and will remember. Our kids will learn what it means to give gifts that are personal and meaningful and neighbors and coworkers and friends will watch us celebrate Christmas differently and what's more they'll hear the good news loud and clear through the seasonal static that comes at Christmas thank you so much for listening to this week's message 
If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.